This morning I want to talk about purpose. And uh, it's a topic that, I guess I need to get my notes out here so I can figure out where I'm going. I told you it's going to be a little rough. <coughs> so I'm so very impressed by the marvelous creation that God has designed as our temporary home. It is quite extraordinary to think about this ball that we, where we reside is hung and suspended in a normal system of stars, planets, and solar system. It speaks to the awesome power of our God. Paul said in speaking of Jesus in Colossians 1.16, for, for by him all things were created that are in the heavens, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. I've arranged <clears throat> our lesson today to talk about two basic topics, the physical and the spiritual, uh, challenges that we're all very comfortable and familiar with. The physical life has a lot of demands it places upon us. It is a struggle. It is hard to try to live here and live in, a, especially in, in a way to be pleasing to a higher power, to our God. So in, uh, in my thinking about this lesson, um, God has given us this wonderful world um, to observe, to manipulate and to think about and to, you know, work through this life. But he really has a greater purpose for us, and that is what we're going to get into here in just a minute. But when we look at the um, things that, that are some of the challenges, when we look at Genesis 11 and 6, it says, And the Lord said, <clears throat> uh, and God is, when God was watching the building of the tower of Babel, and this is their response. Indeed, the people are one. This is what they began to do. Nothing that they propose will be withheld from them. We fast forward to today and the combined experiences of the world and the intellect of mankind has produced some jaw-dropping results. Now think about the achievement of sending astronauts to the moon and bringing them home safely. The iPhone, which some of us possess, is more than 100,000 times the processing power of the computer that landed a man on the moon more than 50 years ago. When I was in college, I remember going to the library searching for uh, information and being so frustrated because after spending hours there, I couldn't find exactly what I was looking for. Well, today I let Google do my searching. It does a much better job, it's so much faster, and it gets me the information quickly. What a wonderful piece of technology. <clears throat> Our young people have no idea how good they have it. We are surrounded by excellence of human endeavor and achievement today. The medical, medical profession has evolved and does remarkable things to care for our physical minds and bodies. Scientific community has given us a close-up view of Mars and even into deeper space with the Hubble and James Webb telescopes. 
The information increases and technological advances are almost a parabolic curve. You name the topic and I would anticipate someone has made it their goal to have a better understanding of that former mystery. <clears throat> David said, you have formed my inner parts. <clears throat> you have covered me with my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. <clears throat> Think about the amazing tools that we have at our disposal. God has given us a mind <clears throat> that cannot be compared to an iPhone. It is exponentially more powerful. We all <clears throat> have different abilities. We all have different goals. Our abilities and our goals depend on many factors, but depending on but determination is a very important one. Some have a greater ability to focus and persevere to accomplish their goals. They have trained their body to carry out the wishes of the mind. For example, a highly trained athlete who devotes himself to his goal and trains accordingly will most, most often reach that goal. <clears throat> so I want to <clears throat> scroll through some photographs that give you an idea of what some of the people do in this world in terms of their goal, in terms of what they're striving for, in terms of what they think are important. These are the top 15 most dangerous sports in our, in, on the scene today, at least according to lunatic.com. These are just some of the examples that people do for achievement and entertainment. There is a segment of our population that will go to great extremes, great measures to experience the danger of thrill. They enjoy the pleasure they feel when engaging in extremely threatening sports. Living on the edge of life and death seems to propel them toward even more risky behavior, just to feel the sensation of accomplishment and pleasure. There is a good deal <clears throat> a focus on the physical world by most of the population. Base jumping, if you didn't <clears throat> know what that was, it's basically finding the largest object you can find, jump off of it, glide down, open a parachute, and hit the ground. So again, pretty extreme from the standpoint of what we would consider to be entertainment. Um, our goals in the physical world are probably not going to be anywhere close to the extremity of what we just looked at. But <clears throat> here's the point that you need to remember. The magnetic pull <clears throat> on us by this world cannot be taken lightly. Our goals may be focused on our careers, our relationships, our material goods. You fill in the blank. What is it that occupies your mind most of the time? That's probably what is in your mind to, as a goal. Christians cannot afford to become entangled in the affairs of this life to the detriment of their spiritual goals. <clears throat> a few months ago, I saw a film about Mount Everest. I was rather stunned <clears throat> to see how many people were willing to be lined up to challenge that enormous mountain. 
the more I thought about it, the more parallels I saw between some of the things, some of our physical challenges and our spiritual journey. In some ways, climbing a mountain is easier than living the Christian life. There are challenges that you will face that will just bring you to your knees. If you haven't experienced those, you need to get ready because the devil is not going to give up until he works you over and makes you succumb if you're weak enough. So that's kind of the roadmap this morning. I thought about the parallels and I looked at them and I thought, you know, that'd make a pretty good discussion. So I want to discuss some of the obstacles that the climbers face in trying to reach the top of Mount Everest and how some of those things relate to our Christian walk. Thank you. I didn't come prepared, you can obviously tell. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> here's some things about Mount Everest. It is the highest place on earth. Climbers line up to get their chance to go to the top of the world. If you can successfully make this climb and live to talk about it, you are in a group of a very, very small number of people. And if you're going to make that attempt, <clears throat> here are some interesting facts that climbers want to know before they <clears throat> try to make this climb. The mountain's height stands about 29,035 feet. That is just below, just under five and a half miles above sea level. The peak of Mount Everest is a little below the altitude of commercial airliners, which fly around 33K to 42K. At 26,000 feet above sea level and above, <clears throat> the oxygen level is one-third of the amount at sea level. This area is referred to as the death zone. A person could last only a couple of days in that environment without supplemental oxygen. The weather conditions around the mountain are inhospitable most of the year. It is the windiest place on, place on Earth. According to one <clears throat> writer, winds can reach as much as, as much as 80 miles per hour during a storm. The temperatures can plunge to minus 75 degrees Fahrenheit, and the wind chill a minus 140 Fahrenheit. At these temperatures, exposed skin, skin can be frostbitten within seconds. The conditions in and around the mountain present such hazards that climbers have only a few weeks window in May and September in which to attempt the summit push. The death of a climber can come from many causes, avalanches, falls, <clears throat> exhaustion, exposure, hypothermia, acute mountain sickness. It is recommended that a climber spend some time in high altitude atmospheres to see how their body will react. Professional climbers are available to guide the climbers to the top, <clears throat> but it may cost as much as $50,000 non-refundable. By the time the climber pays for his gear, transportation, accommodations, it could cost between $100,000 and $200,000. The guides would have the climber <clears throat> spend about six weeks climbing up and down the lower regions of the mountain to acclimatize the body for the summit push. These exercises are designed to accustom the body to function 
in this oxygen-deprived environment. Without this preparation, the climber might not even make it to the top of the mountain. One writer said, trying to breathe at the summit <clears throat> is like running on a treadmill while breathing through a straw. The, <clears throat> the barometric pressure of the, at this altitude makes you exert 10 times, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the barometric pressure at this altitude makes you exert 10 times more effort to take a step than at sea level. What is it that would cause, that would cause a person to make this kind of an effort in their life? Why would they go to such extremes, put themselves in such danger? Well, it's simple. It's because they have purposed in their mind and heart to do so. A more interesting answer might be, a question might be, why? <clears throat> Maybe it's to prove something to themselves. Perhaps it's to impress others. Maybe it is for the anticipated fame, notoriety, glory, or reward of some kind. As we've already discussed, <clears throat> God has created us with an amazing mind and body. It is designed to function despite being forced, with dire, forced into dire circumstances and challenges. These characteristics are given to us for our protection and well-being and, yes, enjoyment. When we look around, <clears throat> we see people from every walk of life in pursuit of their goals. Most give little or no consideration to anyone other than themselves in that pursuit. Maybe they have convinced themselves that they are beholden to no one. Perhaps they have believed the lie that you can live without any restraint or consequences. Or maybe they just don't care. They don't care what anybody else thinks. They're going to live the life that they want to live. Idolatry <clears throat> has plagued believers throughout, um, throughout time. But it is a, pot a potential issue for believers at any time. We need to be careful about turning our affections, our attention away from God on anything else. Once we do that, then we are going down the wrong, going the wrong direction. We need to be very careful about how we function and what we purpose and what, we, what our goals are in this life. <clears throat> Maybe <clears throat> some are looking for some kind of a, um, as one of their goals, they're looking for some kind of a satisfaction or acceptance by others. In Ephesians 1.34, 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Je our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us from, the, from before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> that we should be holy without blame in him and love. God created us and has provided the means necessary for our spectacular journey on this earth. We are not going to spend that many years here, but what an astonishing experience. We should praise God every day for allowing us this privilege. But our existence on this beautiful planet comes with conditions. God has set up this system. <clears throat> he has every right to give us the rules. 
Romans 9 and 20 and 21. <clears throat> but indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay? God wants to have an eternal relationship with all of his creation. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. But sadly, <clears throat> most are not interested in a hope of eternal existence with him. And I think mostly it's because <clears throat> they really haven't studied. They really haven't looked at the consequences of living a physical life with no hope of eternal, uh, an eternal existence. They pursue their goals, <clears throat> their selfish dreams, with the steadfast focus on the reward that will come. Well, what is that reward? <clears throat> Jesus addresses this in Matthew 6 and 5. And when you pray, <clears throat> do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen of others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. <clears throat> if you are pursuing a physical reward, you're a, a physical goal, your reward will be a physical one. Now, what are some of the purposes God had in mind when he created man? <clears throat> Romans 8 and 28, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In Timothy, 2 uh, Timothy 8 and 9, 1, 8 and 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to works, but according to the, his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 and 11. <clears throat> in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose for him, for, of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 2 Timothy 1, 3, 1 and 4. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will love, be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than of God. <clears throat> that sounds a little bit about the world we live in today. It seems like <clears throat> most people give a little consideration to God or anything eternal. They are interested in focusing on the physical. Now let us circle back to the Tower of Babel just for a second. Some of the commentaries have said that 
their views they kind of vary, of course. Maybe it was because God was displeased with the people for trying to build to heaven. Maybe it was some kind of a challenge against God. Others say maybe it was intended to be a structure to protect them from another flood. Or it seems pretty, pretty clear that by the context that God wanted the people to spread out and not and occupy the earth. Whatever the underlying reasons were, they were focused on the physical. Of course, we have to focus on somewhat on the physical life. God intends for us to prepare, participate in this world. I believe he intends for us to be happy with our time here on this earth. We should use our minds to advance human experience, no question about that. But if that is the extent of our interest, then we have missed the whole purpose for which God made us. It's very easy to become entangled in the affairs of this life. That is why we need to be watchful. Our focus must always be on what I must do to please my Creator. The only one, we only get one opportunity to live here one opportunity and this is it we're living it today what about your goals what about your um, the things that you want to accomplish in this world do they line up with god's what are some of the lessons we can learn from this majestic mountain we've been talking about <clears throat> isn't it gorgeous god has created us a beautiful planet so, number one lesson from this, from this beautiful mountain, stay on the path. Frances Arsentiev became the first woman in the U.S. to reach summit of Mount Everest without the aid of bottled oxygen. On May 22nd, 1998, she and her husband both loved climbing and they thought they were up to the challenge of conquering the grueling, this grueling piece of real estate. They made a couple of attempts on their, on their expedition, but <clears throat> they had to turn back because of bad weather. These delays caused them to spend more time in this thin air atmosphere than they were anticipating. They were, made, they were able to make it to the summit. They reached their goal but they both perished on the descent. Physicians have studied people in, higher, in these higher regions of the mountain to understand the effects uh, on the mind and body. One of the more valuable conclusions in that study is that in this deprived, oxygen-deprived environment, the mind loses its ability to function normally. It has been said that a simple task of tying your shoe becomes a difficult chore. Others have said that, thinking, that the thinking ability at, in this atmosphere is reduced to the ability of a six-year-old. Now, <clears throat> imagine yourself being on top of that mountain and you don't know where you are. Frances and her husband, set, Frances set the record, but it cost her. She was only 30 years old, so her lifespan was more or less cut in half. Do you think she made a good trade? Well, <clears throat> her record is there, right, for everybody to admire. I wonder if she could talk today, if she would say, yes, that was a good trade for me. Probably not. Her body is still on the mountain. 
She has been referred to as Sleeping Beauty. Officially, more than 300 people have died on Mount Everest. The number thus far this, far this year is 17, who have either perished or are still missing. That's a pro there are pro approximately 200 bodies on the mountain. It is said to be too dangerous and too expensive to have them removed. We are all pursuing goals in our lives. We need to be continually monitoring the path that we are on to be assured we're heading in the right direction. The climber on Mount Everest <clears throat> is instructed to follow the path in order to reach the summit. The experienced guides not only know the way, but also they will point out the hazards and pitfalls that, you need, that need to be avoided. There is a section on the way to the top that is very dangerous. The climbers are basically ascending on a knife's edge ridge that is only a few feet wide. To the left, the face of the mountain falls 10,000 feet. To the right, it falls 7,000 feet. There is a saying among some of the climbers that if you must fall, fall to the left. You will live longer. <laughs> the physical trail to the summit needs to be the climber's focused attention, but there are other essentials that go with that that are just as important like the proper gear, proper attire, clothing, oxygen, proper footwear, rigorous schedules, and training. Climbing this mountain must have been, or probably has been, underestimated by most of the climbers. <clears throat> now, how does that relate to us? There are many guides in this congregation that are trying to show you the way. They are constantly warning you about the pitfalls and the hazards along the path. They have your safety and eternal well-being in mind as they encourage you, stay on the path and do not turn to the left or the right. Please don't underestimate our biggest foe. Satan is not your friend. Stay on the path. Don't wander off. Be ready for the storm. Climbing Mount Everest is done in several stages. It takes weeks to accomplish. The plan for the last leg of that ascent is, is to leave camp at 12 a.m., be on the summit by 2 p.m., and make the descent before the camp, to the camp before it is dark. The climber will be faced with arguably the most brutal physically challenging experience of his or her life. It will take about 19 hours plus for this journey, if the conditions are just right. In 1996, there were two groups of climbers that were going to make their summit push. Rob Hall, an experienced climber and guide who had been to the summit five times, <clears throat> was one of the leaders. A year earlier, Rob's client, Doug Hansen, had to be had to turn back just short of the summit because of frostbite. Rob encouraged Doug, Doug to come back so he could help him fulfill his dream. Rob had a hard, fast rule that at 2 p.m., that was the time we were going to turn around. No matter where you are on the mountain, we must turn around by 2. Doug, <coughs> Doug underwent throat surgery during the year which probably compromised his endurance. 
Doug was slow and fatigued on the ascent. Rob tried to convince him to turn around, but Doug, but Doug refused. Rob made the decision to stay with Doug. They reached the summit at 4.30, two and a half hours after the deadline. To make matters worse, a storm now engulfed them. The heavy snow and windy conditions severely diminished their visibility. Rob sent a radio message down that Doug had collapsed from exhaustion and would not move. He had also run out of oxygen. Rob was told by the base camp to save himself and leave Doug, but he would not. The next day, the next day, the next day, attempts were made to rescue Rob. Doug had passed during the night, but the rescue team had to turn around because of the intensity of the storm. The next day, Rob was able to talk to his wife, Jan. She was seven months pregnant. He died later that day. So I asked the question again, do you think Rob made a good decision to stay with Doug? You cannot physically carry another person down from Mount Everest. You can't do it. So I'm, I'm confused about why he felt like he needed to stay with Doug. It appears that Doug or Rob felt some responsibility to do so. But what about his wife and unborn, and unborn daughter? More importantly, what about his responsibility to his creator? Did he ever consider that God had something else in mind for him? Storms are a part of living on the earth. I would guess there's a storm in some area of the world right now. Have you made your plans for the storm that you will encounter? We don't know what that storm is going to look like, but you're going to have it. We all know that because this storms give us the adversity and the strength that we need to put our lives in perspective. Christians can approach life with a great deal of peace and calmness, knowing that God is our refuge. In my research about this particular lesson about those caught in the storm, I don't recall anyone talking about appealing to God for help. <clears throat> don't stop before the finish. One of the big issues that guides have to contend with with leading expeditions, especially with experienced climbers to the top of the mountain is their lack of preparation. Most cannot imagine the mind and body, what the, how the mind and body are gonna be ravaged by the, this hostile environment. Now, most of us are not gonna be living in these kind of extreme conditions, I know that. But the stakes for us are far greater than the loss of our physical life. Think about that. We are in a struggle as Christians to avoid the loss of our eternal soul. We were created with a physical body, but we have a soul that will live forever. What time do we need to quit? Anybody know? I guess, okay, we're good. Uh, <clears throat> so, don't stop before the finish. Beck Weathers, a Dallas pathologist, also a client of Rob Hall's on this 96th expedition, lost his vision in one eye and had to give up his quest for the summit. Rob instructed him to stay on the side of the path and he would come back and get him. Later that night, one of the other guides brought Beck down within 300 feet of the camp. 
Because of the raging storm and his weakened condition, he was left there for dead. Reportedly, he <clears throat> was face down <clears throat> in the snow for 15 hours when he regained his consciousness from a hypothermic uh, uh, coma. He said he willed himself to get up and walk because he wanted to see his family again. Somehow, he was able to find the camp. When he walked into camp, his right arm was stuck in this upper position. His face was unrecognizable because he was encrusted over and because of the frostbite. He lost his right arm, his fingers on his left hand, his toes, nose. He spent years of surgery trying to repair his face. He was on the mountain for 22 hours. Climbers who die on the mountain mostly, more often than not, will perish on their descent. Is it because they underestimate their ability to persevere in the face of these exhausting circumstances? We are warned about weary, uh, about becoming weary on our journey in this life. We cannot afford to give up and become weary because of the trials and tribulations of this, uh, of this life. Don't give up. You must keep fighting. Don't think about quitting. You must think about the consequences. Perhaps it's because some of the people just give up and lose their energy. They have no reserves left with which to summon. I think about the five virgins that, were talk that, are, uh, that are given to us in the New Testament regarding not really being prepared. Perhaps some of them just set their goals on reaching the summit without giving much thought and consideration for the, their descent. Under these circumstances that these climbers faced, more than one said it was very tempting to give up. Think about this expedition. They spent 18 plus hours in the elements, freezing to death. The temperature was minus 50 degrees temperature. They were all shaking uncontrollably. The wind was probably around 80 miles per hour, howling. They could not even hear one another talk. They were exhausted, hungry, sleep deprived. Think about how easy it would be just to close your eyes and give up. It takes a lot of exertion to move and do anything on a mountain in this atmosphere. And it would have been so easy, and several of them mentioned that it had been very easy just to give up quit. The experienced climber will tell you that being on the summit is only half the journey. A successful, successful expedition can only be chronicled when you're back home safe. So there are a lot of comparisons with the struggles of climbing a mountain to the struggles of us climbing our mountain to the summit where God is. Don't, be give, don't, don't give up. You must keep working, keep fighting at it. And when I was thinking of putting this lesson together, I thought about this verse, this final in Malachi. Will a man rob God? We know what God's purpose, was, purpose for each one of us is. We've already gone over that information. God said in Malachi 1 and 6, A son honors his father, 
a servant his master? If then I am the Father, where is my honor? Where is my reverence? Verse 8, And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased? Would he accept you favorably? Are you giving God, or are we giving God our best? Or is he getting the leftovers? We are living, are we living for the physical, or are we living for the spiritual? Is my purpose to honor him who sacrificed so much for me? Does my life show my appreciation for all God has done for me? Do we need to change our direction and our purpose? If so, now would be a good time to do that. If you would come stand and sing as, as we conclude this lesson. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.